Okay, we're going to pick up where we left off. Uh, this is part two, my interview with the contributors to the Terminus Project. Terminus Project is a project that is commemorating the glaciers that are gone and are disappearing from Olympic National Park. Again, you can find more information about Terminus at nps.gov slash O-L-Y-M slash Terminus. That's spelled T E R. M-I-N-U-S. This portion of the interview is just going to talk about the inspiration for Terminus and exploring the idea of commemorating fallen glaciers. I hope you enjoy it. Now we've talked a bunch about the background of the glaciers and, um, you know, we have all this information we've known. Anyone that's worked at the park has known the glaciers are, you know, receding really quickly. And I then... I came across the ter- this Terminus project that you all are doing, and I thought it was awesome. Do you all just want to sort of give an overview of what Terminus is? Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. um, as Bill mentioned, and we've talked about uh, the glaciers in Olympic National Park and the Olympic Mountains have been melting for a while, and we've lost some of them. They're not there anymore, and we know that during the time that Bill and Sophie and I and the rest of our colleagues are stewarding these lands, we're gonna lose more. Uh, That's just an unfortunate fact at this point. And, you know, our National Park Service mission is to preserve and protect the ecosystems uh, that we've been entrusted with here in the park. But, you know, we can't force a changing climate to recognize, you know, a geopolitical concept like a park boundary. And so we are gonna lose some of those glaciers. We've lost some already, but we decided, I had an idea at, um, at a, a work retreat a couple of years ago. And I thought like, what if we took this moment and with the glaciers that we do have left, what if we could assign each of them to an artist and that person could make something original and unique to kind of memorialize, immortalize that glacier. And, you know, it might melt, it might be gone in a generation or less, but generations to come would at least be able to look at that painting or that poem or that unique thing the artist created inspired by that glacier and know exactly what it meant to somebody at one moment in time while it was still here. So, that's what we're going to do. <laughs> I think that on the surface, it just sounds like, like people would sort of say like, Oh, it's just like, are we just giving up now? But it's more of like, I feel like it's more of like appreciating what is here while it's here and coming to turn. Yeah. Like you said, coming to terms with a changing world. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, and we've gotten that comment, like, well, why don't, why don't you, not let them melt what this seems like an admission of defeat um i don't see it that way i see it as sort of a plea to 
everybody seeing it to do what they can with what resources they have. You know, we it's inevitable that we are going to lose more glacial ice, but how much does depend on what a lot of people decide to do. So maybe seeing this art makes the difference for somebody. Or maybe it's just a reminder of what we had and had to value what we have. And you know, and the other thing is like, if you've been to any, like, if you've been in a glacial area, I just kind of feel like, you know, they feel sort of like a spirit in the mountains, you know, or like a giant that's in the mountains, you know, because it is a dynamic thing. It is water, essentially. They move, they make sounds, you know, like really heavily glaciated parts of the world. You know, I remember in the Andes, I've heard this in the Olympic too. I've heard the ice cracking and stuff. It's just like all the little sounds they make. And it's like each individual one kind of makes different sounds because of its geographic location or like the topography of where it is or the topography that it's made itself. I just think it's a really cool idea. I mean, like there's even like with the glaciers that are no longer here from like past ice ages, like you can see it's their like shadows in, in the form of fjords and mm-hmm. stuff. If you go a little further north of the peninsula. So yeah. I just think it's a really cool idea. Thank you um, so much. So was there a particular glacier or watershed that inspired this project? I remember my first year here in 2014, I did a through hike and stopped at Anderson Glacier. And I didn't do much research, so I got there and I was like, where's the glacier? And yeah. I was really confused and it wasn't till I got back and... And I realized, like, I was just in this huge void. I mean, it was a beautiful, huge tarn or lake, but it it wasn't until later that I understood the huge loss. And I was basically standing, you know, where it was, you know, huge ice sheet was there long before. And just looking back at old photos, it's kind of mind-blowing. Um, to think about the sheer volume of loss. Um, it's kind of heartbreaking. I also remember visiting the Ferry Glacier during a Bailey Range trek, having similar thoughts. You know, the, the color that these, the glacial flower makes is, is kind of unusual. You kind of only get that way up in the mountains. It's like this glowing, they call it glacial flower, right? Glacial silt. Um, mm-hmm. And you're talking about a, the, the water when it's... Yeah. yeah. So for those that aren't yeah. familiar. Flower, <laughs> F-L-O-U-R. Yes. Yeah. Um, the, the glacial flower is made by the, the ice sheet or the glacier just moving downwards while it's melting and, um, and basically grinding the rock and making these tiny particles. And the color that it makes in the water is magical. It's really rare to see. And it's also, it's like kind of bittersweet because it's, the glacier is melting, but it's also making this beautiful uh, visual in front of you to fill in the space that was lost. Yeah, and you're talking about Anderson. Anderson, yeah, that is a, that is an ex- a prime example of a beautiful spot. Like, and you can see just, you can actually see the line of rocks where the glacier was too. Um, 
And I think that coming to terms with the loss helps you appreciate the beauty of that, you know, mountaintop itself, you know, because you can go into this like world of like, you know, everything is like, this has totally changed and all this ice is gone and it's just not what it was, you know, but what is it right now? It's a beautiful basin that is going through a type of succession. You know, there's a lot of wildflowers that occur there. Um, it's a beautiful landscape. And um, I think that that is part of it. With these changes, there are there is beauty in some of these changes that are occurring. You know, you can find that as well. Like Anderson itself, I'm glad you mentioned that one because that was one that really struck me too. Because that's one that, um, besides blue, like you can just really see how different it is. Like literally, um, for those that aren't familiar with Anderson Glacier, it's like you go up to this top mountaintop and then like you you see on a map that that's where the glacier is but then there's this like little area where kind of like the glacier's sort of hidden away it's like this little section where it's hidden away i mean i don't know if it still is though but there was like when i was there last it was like a little section of it you could see tucked <laughs> away in like a canyon it's kind of like <laughs> it's like the mountain being like like holding the glacier like oh no this is like let me just keep this part of it you know <laughs> in in a way it's almost like anderson was a little unlucky because lindsley's which is right next to it it might be just a little uh, less south facing but lindsley's is still there yeah and it's like oh you just got so much sun exposure yeah too warm mm -hmm. but in a way you know we're lucky to be alive while there's still 148 glaciers left yeah in this area and it's it's just like a a way to think about what we can do to sustain them yeah mm -hmm. for Please sure try. Let's explore a little bit of more about like what sort of ideas or contemplations, like things that come to mind when you explore immortalizing these glaciers. Like, um, what sort of art did you have in mind, or what sort of things did you have in mind for commemorating glaciers? Well, my hope was that people from all different media would be inspired to be part of it. I. I really hoped that we could see, you know, not just maybe like a painting, not to say that paintings aren't fantastic and can't have, you know, wonderful representations of glaciers and everything else, but how cool would it be to have like a dance piece inspired by a glacier and a poem and a painting and a photo collage and a short film as many different things as people want to come up with. I think it, it kind of just shows how much, not just how much the glaciers mean, but how many different things they can mean and how many different things nature can mean to different people. Um, and, you know, we all have our, our different gifts and our different things that we like to do. But when we're artists, when people are artists, it's so often about like, connecting to the natural world and connecting to each other. So somebody might make a poem that someone else reads and says, oh my gosh, that's exactly how I feel. And that makes me feel less alone. 
in my in my grief over climate change. So that's what I hoped might come out. Um, I don't know if we mentioned, but the call for artists has begun, and we've already seen uh, about 82 applications in the first uh, couple weeks oh. now. And awesome. I'm delighted to say that we have been seeing artists of all different media applying, and we hope more will apply. That's wonderful. That's a lot. And <laughs> yeah. there's still a lot of time to go. So Yeah, that's March great. 31st is the deadline to apply. So it's March 31st is the deadline. I encourage anyone listening to put in an application. Um, how do how do we find the uh, website? It's NPS, as a National Park Service, nps.gov slash olym, O-L-Y-M, slash terminus, T-E-R-M-I-N-U-S dot H-T-M. So nps.gov slash olym slash terminus dot htm been typing that in a lot lately <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'll leave a link to whenever Thank this you. gets posted yeah <laughs> so what sort of things have you been getting in uh, have you looked at some of the applicants i've looked at all the applicants <laughs> um and i don't want to you know i don't want to name anybody yet because selections you know won't happen until sure. after the 31st um yeah but I will say I've been really impressed. People, really talented people um, are honoring us with their attention to this project. Uh, a lot of painters and photographers, uh, writers, a lot of musicians, um, some fiber artists and quilters have oh, shown cool. us some really beautiful stuff already. Um, and some filmmakers as well. And I'm honestly blown away by by so many of them, it's going to be a really challenging process to choose. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't apply if you're hearing this now. We would love to have you. But also, uh, disclaimer, <laughs> we don't recommend anyone just go visit the glacier because it's a very dangerous thing to do, unless you're a <laughs> real experienced mountaineer. <laughs> but um, like if you're filming stuff, you know, get creative but you don't have to be at the glacier. <laughs> no, exactly. And that's also one of, a really cool thing about doing this digital gallery where it'll live is people from all over the world will be able to access it, but also people from all over the world will be able to contribute to it. Um, and people of all abilities as well. You don't have to be here and a uh, mountaineer to do this. You can be anybody. With Olympic too, like we mentioned earlier, um, I mean, your life out there is impacted by glaciers. So you, to experience the glaciers, you essentially just just go to the pen, a peninsula and you can visit a watershed. Essentially, that is a part of that whole system, you know. So Absolutely. I think that I think that you don't have to find it through direct contact. It's something that is impacting the surrounding environment a lot too. <clears throat> so, um, Definitely. yeah, I mean, is there anything else you want to add about the project? I'm really excited to see how this evolves and like, we'll do a follow-up interview and see, I want to see like some of these, uh, entries, especially some of the music ones that would translate yeah. really well radio. So, oh, that'd be incredible to be able to share some of the music that's created through this. Yeah. I guess 
Would you like to know a little bit more about what the process will be like for the artists who are selected? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, so once we select folks, they will be signed up as official volunteers of Olympic National Park um, with all the privileges and responsibilities that that entails. Um, and I did want to mention that the artists will be working as volunteers. I know that it's not ideal as a working artist to be a volunteer and not an employee. And I want to make sure that anyone hearing this knows we wish we could be paying these artists and we absolutely value the work and the time and the training and equipment that goes into your work. Um, the resources we have are the resources we have. And so the artists will, in fact, the artists will get to keep their original work. What they'll be donating to the park is a digital copy. So if somebody, for example, makes a sculpture or a painting, they'll be able to keep, and if they choose sell that original work, what they'll send to us is a photo or a video that, that represents it well, and that will live in our digital terminus gallery. Um, so selected artists will become volunteers of the park. They'll have 10 weeks to con complete their work of art. They'll send us a digital copy, and we will be forever grateful for that partnership. Are you all putting in entries as well. Have you all been making art even before this, you know, that was inspired by glaciers and immortalizing them? Um, I've been working on something, but I also need to apply. But I'm collaborating with a modern dancer and um, I used to be a synchronized swimmer, so I'm kind of doing a mix of her doing dance and I'll do synchro and me and my friend Will have been making some music with um, synthesizer and we'll be overlaying some video footage with like spoken word and music. So that's kind of what I've been working on lately. Yeah. Do, you, do you mind if we get a sneak preview of that, that one? You sent me an advanced version of it. I don't know if it's the final version. <laughs> Yeah, I sent you some of the music. Yeah, we just the music. On. I have not been making any art for this project, but I did actually first come to Olympic as a volunteer artist myself. I made my thesis film uh, when I was getting my MFA here at Olympic as a volunteer, and now I work here. <laughs> <laughs> I love yeah. it so much. I'm, I'm just really grateful for that journey. I think that's probably how I ended up doing this project. What other what other parts of Olympic inspire your, inspire art? Like what uh, other art has been made there? The Port Angeles Fine Arts Center used to do a plain air painting event every summer. And artists from all over would come and you would see easels set up on the shores of Lake Crescent or at Hurricane Ridge. And people just like making art in real time. And it was really wonderful to see and visitors loved it. And they'd create just absolutely beautiful work. And there would be an art show at the end at the Port Angeles Fine Arts Center Gallery. There were also filmmakers who used to work in the park decades ago, Herb and Lois Chrysler, who created some really cool films. Uh, I think Olympic Elk was a Disney 
short about the, the Roosevelt elk here in Olympic that Bill mentioned earlier as one of the reasons this park was even created. And there have been some beautiful photos, obviously, all through the history of the park as well. So, yeah, this is the point of the show where I want to learn a little bit more about what inspired you to get into this field initially, like, and to do what you're doing now. Um, what sort of, um, what was the moment, it doesn't have to be a moment, but what made you realize you wanted to pursue science and conservation and and for you all, uh, combining it with the arts. I was lucky to grow up with parents who took me camping in Glacier National Park every summer when I was a kid. I grew up in Montana and we'd get in that tiny little hatchback, the four of us drive up and spend a week camping next to Lake McDonald. And it was pretty formative. <laughs> I was, I was pretty into it. And later on, I, I was thinking as I sort of thought about, I sort of thought about what do I want to major in in college? What, what do I want to be? What do I do, want to do with my life? And I kept thinking about filmmaking and, but I didn't have the confidence. I thought that was too glamorous for me and I could never do something that glamorous. And, and, and then I was doing a lot of National Park Service internships after I graduated. I'd studied creative writing and wildlife biology. And I was in one of my National Park Service internships because I just kept coming back to that. And one night, my fellow intern and I went to a screening of the Banff Mountain Film Festival in Moab, Utah. And watching these movies, it just reminded me that like nothing else really felt quite that right. And I think the next day or that week, I applied to film school to go to science and natural history filmmaking uh, grad school and get my MFA because I wanted to make films for national parks and I knew nothing else was going to make me quite that happy and here I am doing it it's an absolute dream come true and doing it in Olympic is just beyond I think Bill and I would both say that we have the best job in the whole world great <laughs> actually I've been to the BAMP festival they had a showing in they have a showing in Logan where the radio station is it's so inspiring and you see so many different takes on on what filmmaking can be like and how people experience nature I really appreciate that about it it's it's I mean obviously changed my life and you make really cool films too. thank you <laughs> I try I do <laughs> what about you Sophie um, I was pretty lucky because my dad also took me camping and we came to the Olympics a lot um, as a kid in other other national park and recreation areas. Um, I just love to be immersed in the outdoors and climbing rivers and looking for mushrooms and running around the forest and it all kind of clicked for me when I was studying lizard habitat in the Alvord Basin Desert for college at Western Washington University. Um, kind of clicked that it was possible to have a job doing field work and being part of the conservation world in some kind of capacity. And I also did some volunteer like 
tree planting in New Zealand too. And, um, you know, the Olympic Peninsula is a lot like New Zealand. It's like pretty up there for me. Um, it's just been a dream of mine to work for the National Park Service uh, for a really long time. And I, I got into Washington Conservation Corps after college and I did one little eight day bridge building at the Soul Duck and I was smitten with this park. And I was like, that's it. I got to work here forever. Um, I remember it was like August and we'd, we'd be, you know, taking a lunch break and I would lay on the ground and I'd look up and there were like butterflies flying in the canopy of the Doug furs. And I was like, what is this place? Um, yeah. so I, that, I just, yeah. did it, have you seen that? Yeah. Did yeah. You? That happens around August. I've noticed that too. Yeah. Those little oh white, but those white butterflies. Yeah. Yeah. Those, Incredible. Um, I think they're like a Parnassian butterfly. Yeah. It's really cool. Like, and it's, I, yeah, it's around August that they're just everywhere flying around. Oh, I'm so glad you you know that. Oh yeah, totally. It was so that. magical. Yeah. And then I just applied to every job I could at Olympic National Park and got this um, this invasive weed job, and which is actually I'm really lucky because I work for North Cascades, but they let me um, base be based out of Olympic, and I wouldn't have it any other way. And it kind of led me to dabble in GIS, and I've gotten really lucky with a great boss. Um, she's been nothing but supportive in furthering my experience in education and GIS, and it's kind of my ideal and optimal way to contribute to conservation. And I think GIS is a great way to merge art and science, and that's kind of my, my jam, I guess. Yeah, and we didn't we didn't talk about that very much. I mean, that was a big co component of yours with the Terminus project. I mean, that could be sort of your another contribution. That's another contribution of yours. It's pretty great. Those maps are great. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. yeah, I just I um well I'm almost done with my masters in JS, like the last push. But I just heard through the grapevine that Eliza was doing this making this map thing and she she was going to hire like a Esri contractor or something. And I was like, no, hire me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I guess I forgot to add about the the maps in the Terminus. So can I yeah, explain that real quick? Yeah, go for it. Mm -hmm. um, so there's three maps in the Terminus website. Um, the first one is the art map. So you'll kind of come in to like a zoomed out peninsula with um, just general area of the glaciers. And as you zoom in, there will be a snowflake that appears for each of the named glaciers. And then when you click on the snowflake, it'll take you to the link, which will have eventually the artist's uh, page with their art on it. So it's, it's kind of a work in progress. Who knows if we'll ever have a finished product, but that's what's exciting about it. The second map 
is kind of a comparison map. So Roger Hoffman and Bill Bacchus and the MPS staff made, um, took inventory of the glaciers in 2009. Roger Hoffman is the GIS specialist at Olympic National Park. And they took an inventory that year and they also took one in 2015. So if you move the slider around, you can see the difference just within six years. And it's a little brutal sometimes to look at it, but it has that effect to kind of see really what we have what has changed? The third map is mostly just tied to photos. There are some really cool old photographs of these places. Um, we are so lucky that we have in our archive a photographer named Austin Post. He was um, taking photos from an airplane, I think in 1962 or 63. So there's that and then we have a bunch more from recent times, just comparing, you know, past and present. And we don't have them for all the glaciers. Some glaciers just have one photo, some glaciers don't have a photo. So we just did the best we could with that, just so you can kind of check out what they look like. Yeah, it, it did a gr great job of sort of also the documentation of the glaciers also was really good about kind of getting a feel for how each one is unique um i actually would have loved to ask bill about like like just the little things he's like noticed about each one like if they have a sort of if you totally push a anthropomorphic view on a glacier like what are the personalities of the glaciers <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we actually will be adding a little more to those descriptions. Um, yeah. So stay tuned for those updates. Um, Including notes from Bill. When we give the information about their glacier to each artist, there'll definitely be notes from Bill, uh, stories and history and facts and things that he's noticed. And I think that will be really valuable for people to be able to have have this sort of little dispatch from somebody who's actually been there because he's had his feet on so many of these glaciers. It's really incredible. And then yeah. I, can I add real quick just a little um, folklore that Bill added to Blue Glacier? Do it. Sure, um, yeah. He added that the Quileute Ho tribal folklore spoke of Thunderbird living in a nest underneath the Blue Glacier and bringing whales back to feed the young there. Elders spoke of how the old people referred to the distant roar of the glacial ice growing out over the edge of the cliff and crashing down as Thunderbird acting up. Wow. There you go. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, that is definitely some old, yeah, folklore that you know, recognizes how dynamic they actually are. I mean, talking about the sound and how it's connected to the ocean. It's very cool. Very alive. Yeah. So finally, you know, this is, the show is mostly a music show um, that is sprinkled with interviews. So I want you all to contribute to the music portion too. And uh, I think my request would be Heroes by David Bowie. I always, I read that song as being about 
these lovers who know that they can't be forever, but maybe they could have a moment right now. And that's kind of how I see this project and the relationship between an artist and a glacier in this project. Great. That's a great request and a great reason for that request. I like that. Thank you. If you wanna... Do you know the song Troubled Mind by Dan Mangan? I think that's a good one. And the first line is, I can't take the heat. I think it's on theme. Okay. Um, yeah. And it's it's also just kind of about like trying to cope day to day with the bad news that keeps coming. Um, and I think a lot of people get kind of like crisis fatigue, climate fatigue, disaster fatigue, and it's kind of, it's hard to stay engaged and, and present and, and keep caring about all these hard things sometimes. Um, yeah. That song kind of encapsulates it for me. Okay. All right. Well, Sophie Wilhoyt, Liza Good, thank you so much for joining the show. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, JD. Really appreciate it. Yeah, that was fun. And that concludes my interview with Sophie Wilhoyt and Eliza Good. And if you caught the first part, we also interviewed Bill Bacchus. They're all contributors to the project known as Terminus. It's a commemoration of the glaciers of Olympic National Park. If you want more information about this project, go to nps.gov slash O-L-Y-M slash Terminus, which is spelled T-E-R-M-I-N-U-S. And go there quick because um, if you would like to be a part of this project, they are taking applications for artist entries to commemorate glaciers. So you would apply and they would assign you a glacier and then you would create art that would inspire you. And this would go into their digital gallery, which is part of the whole Terminus project. Way cool stuff. I also want to remind you that this is going to be in podcast form, this interview, so you can always share it and download it. Um, Go to my, or to the, not mine, but the Colony Collapse Facebook page. Uh, Search for Colony Collapse Disorder Through Sound and Science to find out more about how to download this podcast. I want to make this available at the Utah State University website as well, so... Just stay tuned, and you can always message the uh, Facebook page as well if you are interested in getting uh, downloads of the show, downloads of tracks, downloads of um, the podcast. And yeah, I'm also going to make this track downloadable given the permission of the person I collaborated with. Uh, This was a remix of Will Kreitzgrum's... song called through willows i was asking uh for some recordings from the olympic peninsula around water and this was a recording around a wetland and i could tell because the song the bird song you heard in the background was the red-winged blackbird which those are the males calling which they are fighting for territories to and trying to impress females and establishing their territories in those wetlands so really cool bird all over the u.s but those were recorded i believe on the olympic peninsula so yeah just a fun little soundscape thing that's also going to be available um it's a fun little collaboration 
And so coming up, we're going to play Eliza's request. Uh, Sophie has been, her music has been throughout the show because uh, she helped curate this show. And it's been a great one. And then we're going to end with another Sophie and Will collaboration and another song from an artist called American Pika, who is an artist that had already done some commemoration of glaciers in Rocky Mountain National Park. So I thought I'd share that. Okay, enjoy the rest of the show, and thanks for listening. Call of Duty. 